to Business Scale Insights with Kimberly Marie Bonner. Listen for commentary, interviews, and information on how to grow your business. For all the details, contact BusinessScaleInsightsNetwork.com. So, Empire Builders, are you ready? Here's Kimberly Marie Bonner. Talking about creating resilient leaders, and I really am excited to talk about this with you because you are the right person with your psychological background, with your um, leadership background. If ever there was a need for us to have someone with your level of expertise kind of guide us through these um, unprecedented uh, times, it's you. So um, with that said, I know a little bit about yourself, but please introduce your, your work, your background, who you are to the listening audience. Well, I'm Tom Gordon, and I appreciate you so much for inviting me to this space, and I'll see if I can be uh, conceptually and practically uh, supportive of your efforts and, and uh, helpful to the audience. I'm based in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania, though I have a, a nationwide practice as a licensed psychologist focused on leadership development, leadership solutions, organizational change and transformation. I do a lot of strategic advisory services, seminars, uh, coaching, diagnostic, uh, listening tours, uh, retreat facilitations, uh, public speaking. Uh, And that comes out of a uh, desire I have to have institutions and organizations thrive and to have the communities within, within which they're embedded to thrive. And I realized that my earlier careers of being a college professor, I've taught at the University of Michigan, I've taught at uh, Temple University, I've taught at uh, Antioch University, I've taught at the University of Pennsylvania. I was always teaching about our uh, human nature, our decision-making, our systems, and how we can be better. But then I did a stint, seven-year stint at Thomas Jefferson University Hospital in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania, where I'm based. And I was there taken to applied psychology, taking all the theory into practice with real uh, people, children, family, men, women, uh, et cetera. And I got hooked on the applied side. And that's when I moved from that hospital work into my private practice. And I started off clinical to pay the rent. So you're, you're, you're inviting me today and thinking about how can we help human beings be better. I've got a 40-plus year practice assisting people to, to uh, grow and develop and be better persons and, and to get more done in the world. And I've also uh, shifted that practice to much more of a practice that's focused on leadership development, leadership team development, leadership chain development, uh, et cetera. So it's in that context that uh, we can talk about any and all challenges today. Don't hold anything back. Hit me with any question you have. And unfortunately, we don't have hands-on with the audience, so we can, uh, I don't have to use any of my skills to hypnotize people. <laughs> <laughs> but, but I'll do everything I can to assist them to, to, uh, with some guidance and some great energy. So thank you for having me. Well, thank you. And if there was any time in America and probably around the world that we needed to talk about really um, creating resilient leaders is now because we are living in unprecedented times. You know, COVID-19 kind of knocked the teeth out of a lot of of the world, particularly those of us living in the United States. Right. And then, you know, but COVID-19 kind of exposed so many disparities, right? So mm-hmm. many disparities in communities of color, right. so many disparities as far as economics is concerned, so many of our failings, um, in my opinion, in leadership, just from a from whether it's a national or state or local level, even not just a, a political failings, but like, you know, uh, folks in our 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 communities, whether it's schools or our businesses or our civic organizations, we're being frayed, right? Right, There's a, there's, there, there's just, to me, there seems to be a massive leadership crisis. And um, I'm just going to 
tee it up because you're the expert. I think there's a leadership crisis across the board, not just on the larger federal level, but just across the board. And I just wanted to find out from you, do you think that's the case? Do you think there is a leadership crisis, particularly in the United States right now? Yes, I agree with you wholeheartedly. And I want the audience to appreciate that you and I are not talking about crisis as in instant and it will go away in another yes. moment. Yes. You know, we're talking about crises of consequence that are going to have deep and lasting effects. And actually the word crisis, the root word for crisis is actually an old German word that means to cut or separate. So if you're feeling like, wow, we as a country are getting strained and stressed and people seem like they're fighting over the corner of a napkin and, and there's danger afoot, then that's actually built into the word itself because the, uh, things challenge our lives. And if we're not properly connected and have the capacities to uh, respond to those challenges uh, well, then we do get the integrity of our lives gets uh, separated or disrupted. And that's what you're seeing at every scale. You can see it in uh, family systems. You can see it in marriages. You can see it with the increase of domestic violence. You can see it with the increase of substance abuse and alcoholism. You can see it in churches. You can see it in schools. It's happening at every scale. So unfortunately, we're not going to ever be able to eliminate crises from our human existence. Uh, that's the one thing we need to appreciate that, uh, you know, you, you feel better once you've given up hope of totally eliminating something. But we got to get smarter at how we respond to crises, just like you can't eliminate viruses. That, mm. uh, you cannot do that. That viruses have always been with us and our response to them affects whether we live. And if we do live, we live stronger because we've actually built certain muscles or capacities to uh, protect us going forward. And that's what you're talking about with the concept of resilience, that you're actually promoting your life by integrating the best receipts or lessons from a challenge or a crisis. Now, it's a leadership crisis. I'm later on define what I mean by leadership, but I've found in my life and felt experience that the health of pathology of any human endeavor at every scale is dependent on the leadership choices, modeling and resource allocations and justice, saneness, and uh, their willingness to do things that are sustainable for that endeavor. So once they drift off a course for whatever reason, not always malice or bad intent, you're going to get uh, some of the consequences of the challenges and those begin to separate us from our integrity or our best holistic selves. And those symptoms then people start to notice. Uh, Kimberly are more awake than most people. So you will not only notice things earlier, you will always code them and interpret them differently. And therefore you will say that this is unprecedented crisis and it's dangerous to human life because you're actually seeing more than most people, but I totally agree with you. Wow. You think I'm seeing more than most people? Yes. I mean, you can just open up your social media feed and see just a disintegration of the, of the, of, of the social order on, in on many one, ways. On one level, you're right that people are noticing the, the noise, the tension, the conflict, the energy, but at another level, they haven't yet decided what it means in terms of their next best choices and their, their, their hope for salvation, so to speak. So you see people all over the place uh, in terms of their interpretations and what they're willing to do differently in their lives, which is a little harder than noticing that things are frustrating. And as you said, COVID-19 collapsed uh, you know, people's security around Absolutely. health. And the choices we made and the, and the delays in making certain choices and the types of choices we made and the lack of unity yes. about a comprehensive 
United States choice versus a state by state by state choice. Or a uh, county by county or a exactly. city by city choice, which is exactly. even more ridiculous. Exactly. So what's happening is you're getting people all over your feed showing their frustration because so many people and businesses have collapsed and are living off of a uh, subsidy or unemployment or, or, or they file bankruptcy and some of them are big companies. Yes, very and, big. <laughs> right. So, so frustration on your page, but you're probably more awake and aware and spend more time trying to think about or interpret what does this mean and what are some promising pathways? You still have millions of people that voted for our current president who announced publicly about what part of a woman's anatomy he is used to and comfortable grabbing. And it made no difference to them that they voted him into office uh, off of that pronouncement of what he you know, really, really cares about when he meets women. So you are probably more awake than most in terms of thinking through the implications of some of the separation and some of the tensions. But anything that comes together is going to be challenged to come up. And there's something from high school chemistry you may not remember, but in 10th grade chemistry, we learned the laws of thermodynamics, three mm -hmm. laws. And one of them is that in a closed system, everything runs down and it's called uh, entropy. You know, uh, it's why when you go on a diet, donuts, donuts start descending from the sky. <laughs> uh, you cut your grass, uh, your, your weeds start growing right away. And you unite something, United States of America, you're going to have tensions to pull it apart. And we've seen that at every stage of the existence of this country, including when it was a British colony, into the language uh, that uh, certain people were property and not human beings or three-fifths of a human being, uh, and a civil war, and the Reconstruction brief 12 years after that, everything you see is about this law of thermodynamics, that things are uh, energized to come together, and they're also being uh, challenged to come apart well, at let's the same talk, time. Let, let's tease that a little bit more and also go back to a concept that you just kind of threw out there to the listening audience, but was really chock full of insight and profound. And you talked about um, integrity yes, and uh, kind of integration yes. and leadership, which yes. goes to this whole idea of unification and wholeness and oneness, yes. right? Yes. Um, now, I, for years, I have understood this concept, but quite frankly, I didn't really understand this concept from a kind of somebody from a university coming in and teaching me this. Uh -huh. It's because... I had old school grandparents who practically raised me and they were really, they had some very profound uh, old school understanding of leadership principles and integrity. Good. And that yes. rubbed off on me. Good. And I'm sure a lot of people who were raised by their grandparents me, me, of, a bi of a bygone era, bygone era. You know what I'm saying? It was yes. just, yeah. You know, your word was your bond. You follow what I'm saying? Your yes, yes. means yes. Your no means no. You know, yep. you're not a different person every day of the week. We need yes. to have some consistency. You you say you're going to show up at 830. You're going to show. You say you're going to do X, Y, Z. You're going to do X, Y, Z. Yep. yep. All right. Yep. yep. Let's let's talk about. The, and I'm I'm really that's like that's old school. I'm really pedestrian understanding. <laughs> Integrity. Yours is a much more highbrow understanding of integrity and leadership, but I think they there is some overlap from my practical round the way grandparental parenting kind of lesson. So let's yeah. talk about leadership and integrity. Oh my goodness. Thank thank you for giving me a lead into that topic. So to make it plain, uh leadership is a is a moral, uh uh sacred calling and commitment. And this is part of our problem that we are separating people and separating us from sanity and, and the prospects of having a great life because leaders have been uh, co-opted and scripted and are following uh, programs that 
don't really make uh, ethics and integrity a big feature of things. And, you know, they, they end up uh, not having the great grandparents and, and uh, the stand on that you and I had. And I don't know what part of the country you grew up in, but I'm South Carolina. And my, my folks, my dad was a, a cotton sharecropper, you know, upbringing. And, and my mother was a farm person as well. So there's a certain amount of values that come from people that know a lot of hard work from yes. their real life. And, and so we probably have some of the same lessons passed on to us. Yes. Uh, and you mentioned your word is your bond. And yes. that, was, that was definitely the way it was expressed to me. Every tub has to sit on its own bottom. Yes. Don't come home <laughs> telling me that the crowd made you do X, Y, and Z, that you have to lead your life. Uh, you know, we could go on and have a whole show on mm-hmm. cultural, cultural wisdom. Mm-hmm. And it just turns out that uh, many, many wise, courageous cultures have actually been eliminated, marginalized, neutralized by the power of the gun and disease and military conquest and colonization to basically diminish their wisdom. So uh, we don't have a flourishing of the wisdom of many, many people on the planet who knew that we can't just do momentary things for this moment. And in fact, when you have you know, no more clean water and no more fresh air, then what good is a shiny lump called a piece of gold or silver? So we have got it twisted. The dominant paradigm on the planet has created normality where people rise to the leadership position. They assume position power. There's uh, actually uh, seven kinds of power, but they assume that power and they do it without having the grounding so they're not standing on a foundation of holistic thinking that would optimize optimal thinking, that would optimize optimal best choices for them, themselves, their mission, and for the communities within, within which they're embedded and for future generations. They're not thinking holistically. And so, take, you know, so that's part of the problem. You just named it in a simple way. Simple people with no education <laughs> formally had more common sense yes. before we had yes. abusing credit cards. Yes. You know, they could figure out. There things. was so much more wisdom. Much I, more there wisdom. There was so much more wisdom. Yeah. And I really consider myself tremendously blessed because unlike a lot of the people who, um, who are my uh, age peers, I grew up around like literally a tribe of, of old folks. Right. Um, they were my they were my grandparents' friends, right. and so my value system, in large part, was really impacted by those Depression era older yes. older black people, and that yes. is a completely different mindset. A completely some of it not so great, but compared to what I'm dealing with with a lot of my contemporaries, it's beyond. Exactly. If that makes it, it's it's right. head and shoulders. So. This is my question, and yeah. I asked this to you offline before. Yeah, the whole leadership industry has exploded. You yes. know, in yes. the past thirty years, there's been so much money, yes. so much time, and leadership and management programs. There's there's a whole discipline, even but you know this this is an industry that literally in the past thirty years has just mushroomed. And for the for the life of me, right, um, right. Tom, I don't understand how that is possible to reconcile the explosion of all this research, all these programs, all these uh, services to grow leaders and the leadership nadir and crisis that we both agree. Right. The We both agree is unprecedented. Yep. Yep. Okay. In yep. America right now. So how, how do we reconcile these two truths coexisting at the same time? Well, here's, here's the thing to think about. Water, water around us everywhere, but not a drop to drink. You can be in a boat in the ocean, but then the, the salt water is going to kill you. So what is, I want to come back to something, that the response in the marketplace was to create a, 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 a brand and, and flashpoint opportunities. And people have made a lot of money selling their particular notions of what it means to be a leader 
And so therefore, we talk about our, our families of origin and, and our grandparents and whole cultures that were wiser, but they didn't have the access to the same information base. So what you've seen is an increase in sophistication and packaging of information and people are buying it because they're looking for the magic bullet or the list of 10 things to do or the list of seven things not to do with a team, et cetera, et cetera. So you got film clips and you got speakers. And, and literally, I know people that are making thousand thousand dollars to give a one-hour talk and then they fly home. So yes. you are surrounded by information. But now that creates a problem for the human being. Here's a problem. If you think about it, all information is not useful. That's true. And all information is not even uh, uh, detectable in terms of patterns. Yeah. So if you're a musician, you can spot ABC on the keyboard or on your instrument. But a lot of people wouldn't know the patterns. And this is part of why it connects with the dumbing down of education. But the other part is you got lots of information available. All gurus and guides who are often interested in their brand and selling their brand and delivering their brand as a uh, serving your development, you have a paradigm where people fall in love with position power and not think about the other six forms of power. And they end up serving themselves to perpetuate themselves. And you have tremendous incompetence in leadership ranks because people often are bumped up to those ranks due to cultural and political favoritism and their honest effort on certain tasks. So people have become task proficient and sometimes experts on certain parts of what makes something successful and they get bumped up to a, a job that really requires holistic thinking, high integrity. A, yes. lot of people, a lot of people get bumped up and they're incompetent. Oh, my God. And they, it's okay to not know 100% of what you're asked to do. But, you know, you want people to have 70, 75% and then grow in the shoes. You're literally, because of political agendas and favoritism or cultural. Some people, you look at organizations now, you look at the visual homogeneity. And you yes. can say, the world, if you looked at global talent, you could not lower the bar in terms of getting greater quality in your pool of, of uh, people that you're selecting from. But we have cultural barriers to looking at global talent. And people can enter and get cultural sanctioning because they look the part. And in the United States, we used to think and had a bias toward leaders being tall guys. So now you enter gender male and now you're under height tall and somebody who's tall and male and also white in the United States can get a break to be in the pool of consideration. And doesn't mean they don't work hard, but they got a tailwind to get from New York to LA in their airplane and other people got a headwind or may not even get on the plane. So but this is, but this is the part that really I I'm, I'm at a loss because I, again, I've, had to work in so many different organizations, both for-profit and non-profit. And right. so much of the rhetoric related to leadership, you know, for a while it was about, you know, technical, somewhat, yes, people have to have technical proficiencies to be managers. And then, but then it, there was this huge EQ right. uh, switch. Right. And then right. there was this huge emphasis on, you know, EQ and character and blah, 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 blah. And if that is the case, though, then our every organization, whether it's nonprofit or for profit, we should not be seeing the homogeneity. Right. And we should not be seeing the dearth of quality. It right. makes it doesn't add up to me well, like something is wrong. Here, here's here here's the reason it doesn't add up and again if we were seeing each other i could hypnotize you and you'd be over it but now i gotta tell you <laughs> tell you the reason and you gotta swallow this bitter pill you gotta swallow the pill uh we're operating in a myth system so we are told uh land of the free home of the brave we're told meritocracy we're told uh 
uh, we'll collaborate. We're told we're in it together. We're told individualism works. You can pull yourself up by your effort. So you're right. If we had really believed and invested in character, you would have greater quality. Oh my gosh. You would have greater quality. You wouldn't have people being lazy and incompetent. And they're so lazy, they don't develop themselves. You couldn't have it. No, you couldn't have it. But what was happening is that I want you to think about the word paradigm. It just means uh, grandparents might say the real code. Okay. And it's a little 50 cent word that means the master code. So you can people promote programs. They can promote uh, priorities. They can promote uh, professional agendas. They can get uh, certain performances done, but it's always done orchestrated within a code. And that code is we might brand and market ourselves that we are all about integrity. That might be in our core values on our brochure. Right. We're all about excellence. We're all about whatever. But any anybody can say anything, but what they mean by that is what they actually do. You have to look at their behavior and then Absolutely. back up. Absolutely. All right. So now what people are doing is not operating off of excellence, no. which is which is not a static concept. Right. But dynamically, you have to think about global talent to prepare you, position you for excellence. They're often thinking about comfort, not character. They're often thinking about comfort, not competence. Now that makes sense. So you're the first person to really nail it. That's it. (laughs) That I've heard. I'm serious. You have, you are, and you're not saying it in in a, in a threatening way. You're saying it in a very human way. Right. It, It, it's not so much that people necessarily have, these conspiracy theories going on some may but i don't think most do i think it is about comfort it's about comfort and familiarity yeah we are species we're a species that's so brilliant we make and discover patterns and once we get a pattern our brain wants to go on to the next novelty so we go to a default uh storage of that pattern and that part of our intelligence system has allowed us to survive so uh, uh, what happens is the, the people that you see as leaders now, you and I are talking candidly, so no holes barred now. We're going to talk candidly. What, well, the prob- what the problem is, is that most people, including most leaders, are compliant and they're seeking mm. more comfort. That's good. See, they're compliant. They're not. They're not resilient. They're compliant. They're not transformative. They're seeking the comfort of normality. They're and seeking the, what's familiar. It's so. It's, I'm so glad you said that because as someone who has, I cut my teeth in like during the dot-com era, I'm an yeah. intellectual property innovation person. So yeah. that's all about change. Yes. Okay. Yes. And so I didn't know any better. <laughs> That's good. Because, that's why you, know, that's well, why you well, came no. here. You know, I didn't know any better as a young lawyer, but I'm, I, I, when you work with scientists and engineers and then you go and you work in university settings and you work with more scientists and engineers and then you go and work with businesses and you're still in that mindset, that kind right. of engineering mindset. Right, right. You don't, you can't fear change because if you fear change, you're going to become obsolete when you're talking about inventions and innovations. Like you seek change. Right. You can't be in the patent game or the IP game and be like, no, me no want no change. Exactly. Or you will die. Or you will die. Exactly. 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 You'll die. But but I didn't get it, Thomas. I didn't I didn't realize that everybody wasn't like me. Everybody okay. wasn't raised. Everybody wasn't raised on that on that kind of similac. You know what I, I'm saying? I got you. You got to so, wake up to that. So yeah, I woke up. up I woke up to that organizationally, yeah. Yeah. and it was a rude awakening. And I soon realized that the cutting edge is also the bleeding edge. Yes. So yes. So yes. and yes. it was a very painful awakening. Well, because you didn't have a mentor or a guide. Correct. And, you, and, and unfortunately, you had leadership failures prior to you. And there's a karmic cost or ripple 
to the past choices that none of us can escape personally and collectively. So people weren't ready to deal with the the reality that the world had changed, the digital world, the speed of communications, yes. et cetera. So if you think about intellectual uh, output, you would then say, wow, now we're caught in an old paradigm that took centuries to develop, right. which is we taught people to be obedient because we didn't trust that they could think. And therefore, few people think and most people implement, and some of them, they're so lowly, we call them enslaved people. Uh, but now the world changes on us overnight. And now capitalism couldn't pivot and be resilient enough in a lot of spaces that you entered to say, welcome, because if I give you my best thinking and you give me your best thinking, neither one of us loses that your idea or my idea, we might come up with 12 new concepts that we can begin to use. And if we put five people in a room, we might come up with 55 concepts. So we feed each other, whereas the old uh, paradigm, Master Code, was zero-sum thinking, Yes. competition, when I win, somebody else has got to lose, as opposed to intellectual capital, means that we can think together, stack our capabilities, and let the best idea win. So it's really time for meritocracy. Now, it is. It really is time for meritocracy. But the problem is, and I love the way you frame this, um, you need more of a, a, a bigger platform because more people need to hear this. We'll, we'll we have had, we yeah. have had, we, we have, uh, whether it's K through 12, college, graduate school, the workplace, we have, we have an industrial kind of, training exactly right yeah. for for for, for and, and and enables people to kind of like paint by numbers yeah right yeah so that you don't really have to think critically yes and you don't have to innovate on your own and so so we've got and part of this is the the kind of backlash to globalization and part of the MAGA movement is a lot of people who have been trained in that old school industrial manufacturing job secure base, they feel an incredible amount of insecurity. Exactly. Yeah. And they should. Yes. Um, and so, and so we have all this mass digitization, digital transformation. Andrew Yang is talking about robots are coming for your right. job. And everybody right. thought Andrew Yang was crazy. And then they're like, well, Maybe not, because with COVID-19, everybody's talking about robots. Everybody's exactly. talking about robots at the cashier counter, at your restaurants, getting rid of all the waitress staff. So now all of that anxiety has come to a head. And to your point, we have done people a disservice because we, we have not pivoted. We have not changed. And exactly. people are incredibly, incredibly insecure. But, and I now, I'm, now I want to pivot to this whole concept of resilience because it's weird, this tension. To your point, a lot of leaders have gotten to their position because they have been compliant. They've been yep. okay. They've been okay with their comfort zones. They've been yep. okay keeping the old order, whether that old order was really not emphasizing critical thinking, innovation, or that old order was a patriarchy or yep. a yep. white male. You know what yep. I'm saying? Yeah, yeah. Uh, a yeah. non-meritocracy. Whatever that old order was, there was a benefit to it. And there was a benefit to leaders complying and staying in that comfort zone. Now we have these major disruptive events right. that have completely obliterated, really, the soundness of that old order. And right. so now we have to move into this new resilience and overcoming and bouncing back. But I would even call it bouncing back. We have to create almost something new because the old is simply not working. Exactly. It's not working. Right. So talk, talk to me a little bit about if we've got this tension with leaders who naturally kind of like their comfort zone and they like, you know, the same old, same old. Then we have this disruptive event that's kind of blowing everything up. Right. What what will it take for this new kind of leader, this resilient leader what what's it going to take to make that shift? Yeah. Now, we as a species are prone to two demons. I'm going to make them all start with the letter D, as in David. Demons. Uh, one is denial. Our ability to avoid, not see, minimize, 
dismiss, discount evidence that something is disruptive and changing. And we can deny it so long that our degrees of freedom get taken away from us to live. And an example of that might be somebody who's uh, super diabetic and eating 12 donuts and drinking six pack of beer or soda, and they don't see, and then they end up having a heart attack. But their degrees of freedom are taken away daily by their choices, but the evidence doesn't appear. And when it does deny it, that their feet are swelling up or they're having problem breathing, et cetera. Same thing with lung cancer. You can look around and somebody say, well, wow, we just discovered you have stage four lung cancer. Well, you have been around asbestos or you're smoking. So you bring up a good point. Now, it turns out, Kimberly, that we got a, we got a serious challenge here because 98% of all living things are no longer around because they couldn't answer your question. My God. Woo, you are 98%. That's a word. That is a word. The the, the, the asteroid comes in, the flood comes in, the environment changes, the swamp dries up, and they can't adjust. Now, 2% made it. Cockroach made it. (laughs) You know, (laughs) giraffe made it. The beetles made it. See some lions. You see some zebras, but you don't see. Oh, my God. You don't see any life form like us who can deny that change is happening. And therefore, we need to be resilient, meaning to change. And in your words, I love your words, which is the original word of resilient comes from a French word that means uh, jump and re, re in it means jump back. But I like your update, which is we got to leap forward. Yes. We got to bounce forward. We got to rebound yes. and be in position uh, in a different position. So I, I love your upgrade. And you and I both need a bigger platform to just riff off of each other because you're right. We can't hold and hug the past because the problem is not just a diet of comfort and familiarity. The problem is that leaders of leaders of leaders of leaders set up the old order on a stratified basis, on a hierarchical basis of worth. And at one point in history in Western Europe, they called it the great chain of being. And the king actually was right next to God. And then they had the pecking order for the nobles and et cetera, et cetera. So they set up separation. Now, by the time people are are really hurting, they turn around and say, oh, I'm in a crisis. Crisis means separation. It means something is happening to you that's about to separate you from your current form. And it may separate you from the integrity of you having a life. So, but the problem is the old order was actually built on false premises of intellectual worth and, uh, and value that people could bring, false premises about the inherent worth of people. So it's you are so kind. You are so kind. You just need to yeah. come out and say the, the old order in many ways was built on a bunch of lies. A bunch of lies. <laughs> so let's just, let's just do like grandma said. Let's make it plain. Grandma, make it plain. And, 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 and some cultures said, you know, they speak with forked tongue. They speak with forked tongue. <laughs> a whole lot of lies. A whole okay. lot of lies. Now, you build a structure on a whole lot of lies. Now, now you got a problem. Because now you got people not only familiar and comfort, comfortable with the structure and the lies, they are now become loyal. I know. Loyal to the lies to the point of addiction. Oh, my word. And to the point of the, the re- confronting the lie with the truth is 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 trauma it's that, traumatic and i'm not i'm not a counselor right i'm not but just what i am watching you know in real time on my social media feed right like people are traumatized doesn't exactly. it appear like people are in a state of trauma yeah like being confronted like you know uh, you know whereas you know Wear a mask. No, you. how dare you tell me to wear a mask? How dare you? How dare you infringe upon my individual liberty and my entitlement to wear a mask? Are you kidding me? Did you and see, going off on people and did, trying to kill people. Did you see the guy, the white guy that had an AK-47 and shot yes! at seven cops because the store owner told him to wear a mask? Yes. And uh, you, It's like you, a triggering event. Like, and, I, and, am, I don't know how, I, don't get and, me started. And, and, fight, and fights are happening within homes, not to that degree of violence, but you bring up a good point. And I love your questions because you're getting at the heart of the matter. 
Now we have to confront that demon of denial and deception where we have actually bought into lies and we have to do it in a way that people don't turn and kill us for a shining light on the lie. That's a, that's a, oh, now you, the problem. You, yeah. The problem, though, the problem, though, is historically, yeah. whenever a, 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 a group of people starts shining a light on the truth. Right. Um, I'm going to try to say this diplomatically. Say it like Tom would say. It. Come on. <laughs> They would pull me off of all the podcast platforms, particularly if I said it like my wild and revolutionary grandfather would say it. Okay, okay. All right, dress it up, dress it up. (laughs) But whenever, uh, whenever a people start shining a light on something and exposing the lie, yeah, right, yeah, and that means people who are have been comfortable and ensconced on that lie, Right. 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 And it could be a lot of people. It could this this lie could it ins- the color or the gender, but you right. know, that level of comfort. Right. Uh that those people who expose that lie be they become a threat. They become seen as a threat. Absolutely. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. Now there's some ways to to uh support that effort without, you know, being a martyr, just like you would go into space with a spacesuit. Right. You, you would let the spacecraft land in the ocean to absorb the blow of reentry and you'd have parachutes around it. So there's some things you can do, like you don't want to be a, 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 the, the sole messenger. I know being a lawyer, you don't want to be a rookie uh, associate, in a, you know, an intern, let's say, in a law firm and not have some air cover from some partner. Absolutely. You don't want to be alone when you speak. You want to think about maybe going forward, those of us interested in leadership as a, as a, as a sacred calling, we might want to say, well, our first stable number is the number three. We're not going to go alone. We're going to test our ideas out on a couple of people and, and, and modify them and edit them and see if we can get two more allies. And then that three tries to get three more. So you, you, you protect yourself from that, that uh, problem of being a a native to this land, but you'll be viewed as a foreign kidney and they will try to spit you out. So you can support a kidney transplant with certain medicines to help the body uh, accept the new organ that's trying to clean up the body. And I think that's what we're up against. Now, 2% made it, the human being is part of that 2%. Uh, but unfortunately, Unlike the zebra that can get stressed out and the zebra doesn't say, well, look, I'm about to lose my stripes today. I think I want to be a blonde lion and mm-hmm. I'll feel so much better if I get a little Hennessy and, uh, you know, <laughs> dye my hair and pretend mm-hmm. I'm a lion. So we've got a, a very interesting problem of we we've addicted to certain demons, denial and deception being one of them. We just talked about a third one. Uh, uh, which is lies, and I call them, just to make them start with the letter D, just to make them start with the letter D, I call them distortions. Right. So, so most leaders are operating off of, 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 of you, know, pl- you know, just a tremendous amount of information in the ecology, but they're misinformed. Correct. They have, they have a lot of lies that they're operating off of, and if they did that and dived off a high diving board and they were told there was water there, they would die. So we're the 2% that has to confront the image or picture or story that is the dominant story because we're the species that's called homo sapiens, wise species, but really should be called homo narratus. We are the species that follows dominant stories. And if we have a place in those stories, and we're fairly comfortable and familiar and somebody makes it easy for us to survive in those stories, then we'll give them our loyalty and they'll follow their normality. Whereas you and I are talking about, uh-oh, this current thing is getting ready to separate us from sanity and all life. We better change something and create allies who can talk about change and create a new story 
in which people can see that they have a future. And that way we help them not kill us so fast. We've got to talk about uh, leaping forward, which you just did. That's a great rebound basketball analogy. If you played hockey, you'd have to say uh, what the great hockey player Wayne Gretzky said. We have to skate where the puck is going. Absolutely. You know, we have to do things like that. And you have to shift the way people talk to each other because a lot of times what we're doing is we're trying to protect ourselves from the truth because we think somebody's going to blame us or judge us for our complicity with the lie. So if you were to have honest conversations in a law firm or with a, a set of people trying to figure out, a, you know, how do we grow our business around intellectual right. property, you'd have, right. to, you'd have to get some honest conversations going about uh, what will it take for us to listen to each other with enough respect and dignity that we can allow people to actually feed the conversation that's going to bring up our best framework and strategy. If you don't do that, then you can look around and see where the junior, the most junior person, and they could be male or female, but the most junior person in the space, somebody will feel very comfortable interrupting them and quickly shooting them down by saying, yeah, but, you know, that won't work or this and that. And you end up having judgment into the room when you're trying to build a conversation about transformative living where we've actually got to practice it. So we actually look and listen to each other as if we are divine beings that have insight and intelligence that is necessary for our lives personally and collectively. And we have to empower each other to share our best thinking from our vantage point and also release things that don't make sense along the way because we've upgraded our thinking due to the synergies that are created when we actually start leading with integrity as if human life is inherently valuable, priceless, and we're going to leverage it. I love it. You have said so much um, in in just one episode, and I I, I want to kind of land the plane here because there's a whole lot to unpack. Um, but I do want to kind of leave our listening audience with three big nuggets, I think, or several yes. big nuggets that yes. I think you have um, talked about as it relates to the resilience of leaders. And yes. I think number one, in order for us to, kind of uh, survive and thrive and, and bounce forward, there has to be a realistic assessment of, you know, kind of what got us here. Yes. Um, yes. And that, that stands for our businesses, our communities, um, you know, whatever organization, your family, whatever, right. whatever you have to have that realistic assessment of what got us here, if you want to be in that 2%, right? Yes. Um, that yes. actually survives right. um, this kind of crisis. So that's number one. And we're the only part of the 2% that can use that self-reflection. We're operating in a world, but also thinking about ourselves operating in a world to our advantage to change so that we can live. No other life form beetle, cockroach, zebra, giraffe, your cat, they're not thinking about themselves. Absolutely. And I think you're, you got you name one of the keys to our ability to change well is to have a, a high impact self-reflection. Absolutely. And then, and once we, you know, individually, as well as kind of collectively do that self-reflection then we need to reach out to others who are of like mind, allyship, whether it's in an organization or a business. Right. Um, or it can be if you're a small business owner working with other like minded small business owners or if you're an educator working right. with like minded educators. Um, but that process um, is just as important because to your point, uh, you can't have this, you know, idealistic lone wolf kind of uh, 
belief that you're going to kind of change the world and you're going to do it by yourself. It doesn't work well, that way. It won't work. Um, it won't work. It will. No. It, ne- it never. It never works that way. Nope. Nope. Um, self, and self-deception. Yeah. It is true self-deception. And so yeah. you have to, after you do that self-assessment, then you reach out to like-minded individuals and you come together with a possible better way, right? A, be- yes. a new way, a new yes. way forward yes. Yes. and build consensus to that. Yes. Um, I think, I think those gems that you just laid down, someone either who is listening to this broadcast, either you can apply this to your own life. I think anybody can apply this to their own life, just being a good leader of your own life. But also if you know someone, whether they're in a corporate you know, environment, an educational environment, a nonprofit, um, in a government organization, whatever the case may be, those kind of three top level gems, I think are so critical because if people are not doing that right now, and this is where I'm going to kind of, kind of leave or in this first, uh, um, episode with you kind of like not a Debbie Downer, but I want this to be sobering. Yes. Um, Yes. Because I cannot overemphasize. I cannot overemphasize the crises. I cannot overemphasize the the problem with um, just everything kind of staying the same. Yes. Um, Yes. Yes. We are at a pivotal time in America um, across the board where where we are either going to change or we're going to die. Many in our communities are not going to make it right across right. the board, right? You know, socioeconomic, racial. You're, if we don't take this opportunity to change, we will be left behind permanently. Yes, you're right. And it's and it's quite frankly, it's already happening with COVID-19. It, we're already seeing it. Forty one percent of um, black owned businesses are not going to open up again. Yes. Forty one percent, Thomas. Yes. That that is an extinction level event, and that and that was the data in May. Exactly. Yep. And you're you it COVID and like any crisis or catastrophe or catalytic disruption is going to expose the fundamental um, disparities of the previous era. So a lot of the majority dominant racial group in America has always been cushioned from the cost of our status quo. They've always been cushioned. And this is because it's the, the date in which they found the bodies of two white civil rights workers and one black one. Uh, you may remember in, uh, uh, in Mississippi, they yes. Were tr- yes, there's Schwerner and Cheney. And yes. one, one of the things that uh, one of the white people uh, lynched down there, the wife said is that uh, a black person dying every day or being killed every day is not news. Uh, we have gotten so accustomed to that death. But when my husband is lynched, now we have FBI people searching the swamps and we're getting some attention to it. And this is what I mean by the dominant racial group absorbing the cost. We've paid a tremendous price for all of these nasty isms that have basically been tools of people that wanted to have a stratified society and they create sexism, classism, ageism, racism, et cetera, ethnocentrism. And we, we allow certain people to pay the, the cost of that. And they end up in a crisis showing you all of these disparities. I would like to start talking about disparities as injustices. And so people can see the disparities downstream of the outcomes but the process and the structure of things is so important that we study that so we cannot be surprised when 41% of certain businesses go under because they're undercapitalized and various things happening and various people are dying because the way they live and how they live and how they've uh, been structured to live because and of... And the jobs that they have. Exactly. There's all been structured based on isms. And so the symptoms downstream shouldn't uh, surprise us. And uh, COVID-19 actually, once it's, you know, like, you know, Cheney and the civil rights workers, once it starts affecting people across racial lines, you have a better chance of people waking up and saying, well, maybe I need to think about this a little differently. 
I'm going to leave you with this note because I think it's a fourth key point. When I talk about leadership, I'm trying to get people to shift to a new orbit so that leadership now isn't about position, power, or rank. And I'm talking a lot about leading as a verb, and I'm going to make everything start with ING so we know we're going to do it forever, and we're not just going to do it episodically or cosmetically one time. But I'll end on this note for, for this segment. Leading equals S, 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 four S's. And I'm going to define each one, and let's see how this resonates with your spirit. I think your grandma would say, know yourself, <laughs> know yourself, and when you know better, do better. Yes. And she was worried about separating yourself from the community because she said, let your word be your bond, meaning your character, and you know who you are, and your language ought to align with your character, and your behavior ought to align with your character. Otherwise, you're going to strain and compromise the bonds or relationships that hold us together personally and collectively. So leadership systemic, sustainable success. And all of this has to do with life success. I'm not talking about shareholder value only. I'm not talking about the mission of your particular nonprofit. I'm not talking about yeah, we happen to be uh, mother and daughter, and we're hooked up with genetic DNA, but have the same energy for you that I have for my next-door neighbor. I'm saying this concept of serving is a breakthrough concept because it gets us off of self-serving, and it gets us off of defending how good we are as opposed to saying, no, we need to know ourselves, and we need to get better not just wrap ourselves up in a robe of righteousness and defend our previous practices. So we're going to be serving. We can't do it episodically. So I'm saying systemic. We can't do it and hold on to a lot of poisonous isms. So I'm saying we got to do things that are really, really sustainable, which we've got to get back to our minds or our proto capital, our foundational capital. And we got to get a stacking and synergies across minds. And we're talking about, uh, life success. They all so, so, okay, so say that one more time to make sure everybody got, has the four S's. Leadership or leading equals four S's. That's serving, systemic, sustainable success. Wonderful. Now, if someone wants to talk to you about those four S's, more information and also leadership training, how can they do so? They can go to my website, which is www.tagaconsulting.com. It just stands for Thomas A. Gordon and Associates, but it's T as in Thomas, A as in Alpha, G as in Gordon, A as in Alpha, the word consulting.com. And they'll see more about how I think and my approach and see some of the great colleagues that are highly diverse and skilled people that I get a chance to work with every day. Number two, they can email me at T for Thomas Gordon, G-O-R-D as in David, O-N, at TagaConsulting.com. And that'll be a bridge. They can reach out. Let them know. Let me know that they uh, heard about us on your podcast, Kimberly, and I will respond to them within 24 hours. And we'll be able to talk. Wonderful. Well, thank you so much. This is just part one of our interview. This has been so (laughs) enlightening. Like, man, you need to you need to be on television. Like you need <laughs> I'm serious. You need to have like there's Dr. Phil. There needs to be Dr. Thomas because well, you well, are dropping some gems. Well, seriously. Let's, let let's put uh pray on it and think about it and focus on it and what we think about expands. So I'll I'd love to be on there and I know who's gonna be my first guest or my first partner. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. Well, thank you so much and take okay. care, everyone. Bye bye. Take care. Bye bye. If you already have a proven business model, but have concerns about the best way to grow and scale, then you should contact the experts at New Day Consulting Systems. New Day uses innovative techniques to 10 times the impact of your business. Your local business can become a regional, national, or international enterprise. New Day Consulting Systems will show you how. For more information and to get started with New Day, visit the website at newdayconsultingsystems.com. 
one word, NewDayConsultingSystems.com. To get your business off the ground and into orbit, contact New Day today. Business Scale Insights with Kimberly Marie Bonner. To get her personal attention to you and your empire, go to BusinessScaleInsightsNetwork.com. That's BusinessScaleInsightsNetwork.com. And tune in again next week for more from Kimberly Marie Bonner with Business Scale Insights.